Good evening and welcome to Bird Calls from the Knoll Foundation Studios here at Red River Radio. Tonight's program is made possible in part by the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. To take your calls tonight, we have a phone bank of volunteers. We invite you to call in with your questions about our feathered friends and the avian world at 800-552-8502. Again, that's 800-552-8502. I'm Cliff Shackleford, your host of Bird Calls, which has been on the air here at Red River Radio for over nine years. I'm ready to answer your questions about birds this evening, so let's hear from you by calling us at 800-552-8502. So we start off recapping last month's conservation tip. So we end with a conservation tip, and then the next episode we recap it. Well, I goofed last time. We went overboard. We had so many calls coming in and such a great guest that we didn't have time. I didn't carve in enough time to go through last month's conservation tip. So instead of a recap, this is going to be the first time you're, heard it, you're hearing this. It's called Pick a Patch for Birding. On this radio show back in t- November 2017, we encouraged listeners to contribute their bird sightings to citizen science projects like iNaturalist and eBird. And since then, those two platforms have been discussed repeatedly on this show. Now, I'd like to encourage listeners to pick a patch. This would be any green space, either your property or some place nearby where you can frequent in order to birdwatch the heck out of it. If needed, use the Merlin app to help you identify the birds. And if you're confident in those IDs, submit your sightings to eBird, iNaturalist, or both. Repeated visits over a couple of years will give you a much better idea of the birds around you and how the bird life can change with the seasons. Encourage others to do the same. Pick a patch and go birding. It's fun, educational, relaxing, and a great excuse to get outdoors. Do it for the birds. Next, we're going to do a profile of the spotted sandpiper. This evening, we're profiling a little sandpiper called the spotted sandpiper, and this species usually vocalizes from the water's edge or when being flushed. So let's listen to the call of a spotted sandpiper here. Not very elaborate, just little, little peep peat sounds. Uh, The spotted sandpiper is small and usually seen singly or in pairs, rarely small flocks. It has a huge breeding range across much of the U.S. and Canada. In the Red River Radio listening area and the rest of the Gulf Coast states, however, this sandpiper is not a year-round resident and does not breed here, yet the species is present about 11 months of the year. During fall, the breast and belly feathers with spots, the namesake of the species, molt away and are replaced with unspotted feathers for about half the year. This means that most of the time they're in the south, we see the unspotted spotted sandpiper. This bird occurs on the water's edge of lakes, reservoirs, ponds, streams, and rivers. Anglers and boaters likely encounter them the most, although since small, this this bird might go 
completely unnoticed by most people in the outdoors. In flight, spotted sandpipers have stiff, rapid wing beats on what looks like downwardly curved or cupped wings, which gives them a very unique appearance in flight. While perched, one of the more unique features of the bird is how they either teeter their body or bob their head almost incessantly. Spotted sandpipers eat tiny insects, crustaceans, and other invertebrates on or near the water's edge. To see a photo snapped by James Childress of a spotted sandpiper in winter without its characteristic spots, please visit the Bird Calls page at redriverradio.org. Yeah, I like that. The unspotted, spotted sandpiper. Very confusing, isn't it? Well, tonight I'm very excited to have not one guest, but two guests, and they're both in studio. And so I'm very excited to introduce um, Shelly Plant from Texas Parks and Wildlife and Rusty Scarborough from here in Shreveport area. And they're going to tell you a little bit about themselves. And we're going to go ladies first, Shelly. So let's hear a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Cliff. It's, it's great being here. Um, so my name is Shelly Plant, and I'm actually the nature tourism manager over in Texas at Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, which is our fish and game agency for the state. And I've been working there since 1996, so I guess we're about 26 years now. And um, I was born in Denton, Texas, so in the North Texas area, and uh, raised by teachers. So we camped a lot, went outdoors a lot. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so that's how we went around the world and that's my introduction into nature tourism and exploring on a budget and exploring nature so that led to college at UT Austin and then master's degree at Texas State which landed me at Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and I've been running wildlife trails birding trails paddling trails and everything nature tourism related for the state for over two decades Thanks for having me. And we worked a lot together back then, back when I was a working man, right? Yes, I've known Cliff for 25-odd years, very odd Very years. odd. <laughs> That's right, right. And we had, we had a good run, didn't we? And yes. so I'm glad we can continue that in, into my retirement here on the radio show. Uh, next, we have uh, Rusty, who's with the Caddo Parish Parks and Rec. So, Rusty Scarborough, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. All right. Well, I am the park manager for Caddo Parish Parks and Recreation's Walter B. Jacobs Memorial Nature Park. And I have been there since 2010 as uh, the manager of that park. <clears throat> we, I was born in West Texas, in Lubbock, Texas, and then my family, my dad moved back to our historic family land um, that dates back many many years and then I think we moved out there when I was like five so I was immersed in nature from a very young age spending a lot of time in the woods playing with crawdads and mud puppies neat and then we I went to Louisiana Tech University with a wildlife conservation degree thinking I was going to be a field biologist somewhere out there in the woods by myself. And I kind of tripped backwards and fell into nature center work. And I worked for the Arkansas Game and Fish at Delta Rivers Nature Center for 10 years as education coordinator. And then this job at Walter Jacobs opened up and I needed to move home. And now I'm back on that family land that I raised, uh, lived on when I was five. Hey, that's a neat, 
circling backstory. Very cool. Well, um, so Shelly, I've got to ask you, you know, we have these birding or wildlife trails all across the country. They started in Texas. So tell us a little bit about what are our wildlife trails. Are these for hikers? What, what are, you know, a trail implies you're walking along, but yeah. explain the birding and wildlife trails. It's, it's a little different than what you would think of for a trail. It's more of a driving trail. So the Great Texas Wildlife Trails started back in 96 with the Great Texas Coastal Birding Trails. And it was literally a driving trail that connected wildlife viewing sites um, from, from point to point along the map. And we were the first state to ever do something like that. No one had connected nature tourism sites in that way. And now here we are 26 years later and over 40 states have wildlife trails or birding trails in some way based on the Texas model. And it's just a great way to encourage sustainable tourism in the local area while conserving the land that we all love. Very cool. You're listening to Bird Calls. This is a call-in radio show. The number is 800-552-8502 if you have a question about nature tourism for our guests, Shelly and Rusty. And, and Rusty, I've got a question for you. All right. A- at the nature park, what have you found to be some of the more successful ways to get young children involved in the outdoors? Well, my absolute favorite is to get their hands busy and get them interacting with the element, whether it's touching or feeling or seeing or smelling. Uh, If we can keep them engaged in those ways, that really makes a memorable experience for them. And my secondary way is, since every one of them almost have a digital device in front of their face, is some way to get that engagement, whether it's uh, bird calls or we have an app that we're using at the nature park. during you know trying all the different things for covid issues you know Mm -hmm. we had to close down for a while so we did a lot of uh, nature park uh, live events and so dragging them out there with the digital device or engaging them once we get them there with hands-on activities and then what would you say you know that's for engaging young children is it much different for teens and adults to get them engaged in the outdoors we don't see a lot of teens uh, you know, we certainly have teens come and visit, but it's not like a bulk of our visitorship. Uh, they're, we, too, they're too cool to do that. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> you know, the way they're, like, whether it's high school or college, the way their classes are structured, they don't have a lot of free time where mm-hmm. they can go out, and we just don't see that a lot. We certainly have some, like I say. Uh, we try to do interesting events that might um, bring them in. I, I did an introduction to falconry last weekend, and we had oh, several teens in that program. Um, you know, it's just choosing the type of program that you'd want to offer um we are underway for building and designing exhibits for our new facility and so we're certainly trying to branch out with new ideas that would engage all age visitors and uh, the bulk of our visitors are uh, families with young children yeah so everybody comes in and and you're you're reaching all of of the above so great that's great uh, 800-552-8502 if you have a question for Rusty or Shelly or for me. Uh, you can ask them about nature tourism. If you want to just ask your general bird question, you can still call and ask that uh, during this hour. So 800-552-8502. Shelley, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the nature tourism and the the, what sort of participation is there in the U.S.? And maybe you have it broken down below the U.S. or just 
fine fine if you just have national data but but tell us about participation and and, and really importantly also the economic economic impact nature tourism makes in states like Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas, et cetera. Yeah, and nature tourism is big business and I think it's discounted a lot. People don't think about wildlife viewers. We aren't required to buy a license or um, pay a specific fee or stamp that identifies a wildlife viewer or someone who's a nature tourist um, to go camping or hiking or anything. And so it, it is harder to quantify, but we've been really lucky that there's been a survey of hunters and anglers and wildlife viewers for a few decades now that's really shed light on this. And uh, I said, you know, a few minutes ago, the wildlife trail started 26 years ago. And with that, and with this growth of nature tourism, we've seen numbers grow over time. And so if you're familiar with anglers and hunters, we know that those make up a bulk of people. Like in Texas, there are about 2 million fishermen and a million hunters. And in Louisiana, there's about three, just over three quarter million um, fishers and about a quarter million hunters, but wildlife viewers, there are 4.4 million wildlife viewers in Texas and a million wildlife viewers in Louisiana. So that's like more than the combination of hunters and anglers in both of those states, which is pretty amazing. And they have an economic impact in Texas that impacts like $1.8 billion in expenditures, but that translates to an economic impact, a ripple effect, if you will, of people when they travel, they spend money on hotels and gas and food and lodging and all of that. And that's almost $14 billion infused mm. into the Texas economy from wildlife viewers compared to only three and a half billion each for hunters and anglers of economic impact in Texas. So 14 billion versus three and a half billion, we know how important hunting and fishing is, but that should tell you how important wildlife viewing also is. And they're, they're coming to look at, the nature tourists are coming to look at all sorts of things, not just birds, but butterflies and, uh, you know, out West Texas, you know, Rusty mentioned Lubbock, people like to go see prairie dogs and other things that are associated with prairie dog towns and maybe see a pronghorn. So it, it's a, all kinds of stuff. What, what else would you say that nature tourists are, are after? I mean, for me, I would say if you asked this question 30 years ago, everyone would say birding. That is it. Now we're at a point where he's right. Cliff says exactly right. They're looking at large mammals like pronghorn. They're looking at herps. They love snakes and lizards. They love butterflies and dragonflies. Mm -hmm. Close focus binoculars came a really, became a really big thing about 10, 15 years ago when everyone started looking down more and wanting to identify butterflies and dragonflies. Close focus binoculars wasn't that big a thing before. It was mainly for birders and stargazers and other people. Um, there's also hikers and campers and geocaching. You talk about tech, bringing in the electronics. Um, it, it really encapsulates anything you want to do in the outdoors um, that allows you to get close to nature. Marine mammals and the coast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. People pay to go out on pelagic trips for looking at birds and marine mammals out or off the coast. We have sea turtle releases in Texas. Yeah. Yeah, and Shelly's Shelley's from the hill country where there's bat caves, and that's a huge attraction. And that's just because of location, you know, karst topography, these limestone caves that attract um, the Brazilian free-tailed bats and in the millions. And so there's several of these places that people go, and you go at dusk and, and right before dusk, actually, and watch the bats come out, and it's magical. And, and 
So not, not everybody has that uh, uh, in their backyard, a bat cave like Central Texas, but there's no place in the U.S. where you don't have something magical that you could attract people. So Shelly, along those lines, what advice do you have for, you, you mentioned the, the, the economic impact. So let's talk about business. So what, what would you recommend to landowners and businesses wanting to cater or attract more nature tourists? I'd say the smartest piece of business advice I've seen over the decades is start small, start with what you have. You don't want to embark on nature tourism and say, I'm opening my gates to nature tourists and I want to build the Taj Mahal for them to stay at. You look and if you have some hunting lodges or an old farmhouse that could be renovated for overnight lodging or a kitchen or something like that, maybe you have camping, maybe you have RV hookups. Maybe eventually you add a stock tank as a swimming pool, but you build over time as you have success. And I would say partnerships are huge. If you want to do stargazing and you think you have dark skies, see if you can find a local astronomy club to partner with who can help you figure out how to make your landscape even better for stargazers. If you love mountain biking, found a, find a mountain biking club that you can partner with that can help you build trails in exchange. Or bird watchers, find a bird club that might help you build your bird list to attract more birders. So partnerships are key starting small and building as you have success those are my key pieces of advice that's good advice so you don't have to know all the details you just need to like shelly mentioned find someone that can help you um and and offer them free access to you know what we call a fam tour or familiarization tour to um, like she mentioned with the mountain bike groups or the bird watcher groups get them to come out and and help guide you in that endeavor. So 800-552-8502. We have our first caller, John from Fishville. Go ahead, John. Hey, Cliff. Hey, uh, I'm not, we've talked about the cowbirds over over the years now, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen mine yet heading south. Are they still coming, or are they already down? Yeah, south? yeah. No, they're still coming. I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there are many people that get excited if they're running feeders they don't get excited about hosting cowbirds so um, you you might be the only one you might want to put a neon sign up john that says cowbirds welcome because most people don't want cowbirds because they come in such big numbers in the fall and winter that they eat all the seeds and push out all the the prettier birds that they like but uh no i think yeah you you just have to be patient i think when we get some more cooler weather that makes a, a lot of changes to our north there's another cool front coming sunday or monday and that'll trigger and they'll trigger a lot of things and they'll be the the dove hunters are going to be excited about any any pushing birds and waterfowl for for hunting season coming up pretty soon um and it'll push some more cowbirds down too john so i think i think patience (laughs) okay well i got all my red cardinals out here now in the evenings and you know, they, they kind of miss those cowbirds. I oh, okay. Well, all right. There's a par- <laughs> party really, going on there, I guess. Yeah, they really do compete yeah. for the feed that I throw out there. For right, <laughs> right. Okay, John, all thank right, you sir. for the call. All right, thank but, you. for Keep up the good work. Man. Oh, thank you, sir. The number is 800-552-8502. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, we're talking with Shelly Plant and Rusty Scarborough. We're talking about nature tourism. And Rusty, I have a question for you. What birding opportunities are there at Walter B. Jacobs Memorial Nature Park where you work? Well, we have a 
maybe a little bit more different spin on bird watching because we're a mature pine oak hickory forest with a closed canopy for the most part. So it's not like wide open bird viewing is like what I normally think of in bird viewing seems like a lot of people with spotting scopes, but we have a lot of birders that come out. Um, I made some of my favorite on the list, pileated, the barred owls, wood thrush, ruby crowned kinglet, hooded warbler. Oh, those are good ones. I just absolutely love, um, to me, there is no more melodic sound in nature than the wood thrush. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely love spending time in the mornings yeah. out listening to them. Uh, we uh, re recently were recognized by the Old Growth Forest Network. So as old growth as you can get nowadays, our, our property has not been cut or managed since uh, we took possession in 75. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we have a lot of shade and a lot of trees and a lot of thickets. So those species that would... Uh, be attracted to that area we yeah. we have neat that's neat okay uh the number is 800-552-8502 this is bird calls and shelly tell us a little bit about this bird watching competition called the great texas birding classic so the birding classic is kind of a strange little thing it is actually exactly what it sounds like a bird watching competition for bird watchers so who can see or hear the most bird species in a 24-hour period a half day or full week depending on which tournament category you're in uh, this the spring 2023 will be our 27th annual event and we raise money for habitat conservation and that money it's actually an event that's tied to our birding and wildlife trails so that money raised through the event is um, sent back out into the communities in the form of conservation grants. We fund bird habitat conservation grants for enhancement grants for birders to have better access to um, restoration grants to acquisition grants. And so to date, we've given well over a million dollars in conservation grants to on the ground habitat projects. And I mean, that's everything from bird blinds to interpretive signage to restoration, removal of invasive species and restoration of native, native habitats. So we do a lot of different things with that money and the people come out and have a lot of time, a really good time. And it's grown in the past few years. So we have over a thousand people participating every spring in this event. And it's kind of, I like to compare it to like a walkathon or a runathon mm -hmm. for your favorite thing like juvenile yeah. diabetes association or whatever you do a walkathon well this is a birdathon almost for bird habitat conservation they pay registration fee we fund grants and you mentioned a million dollars over the years and so the winners tell tell us how the winners get that million dollars over time so you would think people participating in this are doing this for big great prizes they are not they get a free t-shirt <laughs> and the winning teams in certain categories get to pick which projects will be funded. So kind of their favorite projects for habitat conservation, they get to choose. And it's just kind of a different spin. And they, they get a winner certificate on a piece of paper. So it is not like winning scopes and binoculars and things like that. It's literally bragging rights and the, the ability to direct funding towards projects they believe in. They can feel rich. They can say, hey, I've got this pot of money. I want this to go to X, Project X. So that's really cool. So the birds end up winning in the end. I, li I like that. Yep. Uh, number is 800-552-8502. If you have any questions, you're listening to Bird Calls here on Red River Radio. Um, so Rusty, other than the nature park where you work, what, what are some other local hot spots you recommend in the Shreveport? Port Bossier City area 
to go looking for birds and nature in general, hiking and yeah, absolutely. The Red River National Wildlife Refuge. Um, there's a, a a lot of the members of the bird study group here in Shreveport uh, regularly are down there taking pictures. Uh, Cross Lake, all around there. There's lots of waterfowl, lots of egrets. Um, those are two of the big hotspots. So there's people don't realize how large Red River National Wildlife Refuge. It's a linear refuge, so it mm-hmm. follows the river all the way down towards Natchitoches. But there's a lot of diversity in the H track and right there at the visitor center. And we we've mentioned this before, even last month, that if you're new to birding, start with the big birds. And wetlands are the best place to start because you've got big herons and egrets and ducks in the winter, and these are easy to, easier to see versus little warblers that are 80 feet up in the trees or little sparrows that are hiding in the grass that are tiny. That's that's for more of the intermediate and expert birder, but the beginning birder wants to start at these places like you just mentioned, like at Red River National Wildlife Refuge, where you've got open water, nothing really in the way, maybe a snag here and there getting in the way, but for the most part, they're big showy birds. Absolutely. Where, where else in across Louisiana, what are some other hot spots that you have visited that you like uh, for getting into nature? Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Jean Lafitte Barataria Islands hike. I, I go down there every opportunity I can. Uh, I like the Lafayette area as well, but uh, I don't know. I just love that Jean Lafitte because it crosses once again through different habitats. You're in the swamp, then you're out in the grassy areas, and then you're in the oak stubby areas. I, I, I love going down there and spending time. And then you met, mentioned Lafayette. There's I, I don't think any better place to get food, Cajun and Creole food. I mean, New Orleans, yes, but Lafayette to me is the epicenter for getting a good tasty bite. So Absolutely. There's some really good food down in southwest Louisiana. Yep, that's right. And that's part of nature tourism. That's right. Buying I mean, food. Buying food, staying in hotels, getting gas, buying groceries, buying souvenirs. And that's where all that those nature tourism dollars you mentioned. That's how it breaks down. That's what they're they're spending it on. Um, so and 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 tourists are what we want. They're they're leaving their local money, but they're not needing services in return. They're not putting their kids through school. They don't need the libraries and and such. So so tour, tourists are good people to have coming through your community. Um, let's see, Shelley. Uh, Oh, we've got another caller. Let's go with Caden. Uh, no, George from Bossier City. George, you're on live with uh, Shelly, Rusty, and Cliff. Who, do, who would you like to ask your question to? Uh, my question is to you uh, about a pair of what I think are black-bellied whistling ducks mm-hmm. that landed in my neighbor's yard with okay. two little ducklings. Um, I, I guess these birds were just lost. But they were out there wandering around. They finally, uh, the two adult ducks flew over the uh, chain link fence, and the little ducklings just walked through it. <laughs> and I guess they went on to the next yard. But uh, is yeah, I don't think they're lost. I mean, black-bellied whistling ducks will often just appear some in a wetland and and then disappear. I think they're just wandering around looking for you know a place to rest, a place to feed. Um, so, but that's a, that's a bird we probably, if this show was on the air 30 years ago, 
we wouldn't have talked about it. It's a bird that has really expanded in the last two or three decades. Um, so you wouldn't have seen it in the 70s, um, or probably not even in the 80s in your area. So they're they're a, a bird that has expanded in the last several decades. There's a, could a pretty good population of them here in the shreveport Bozier area. I lived in Carriage Oaks for a number of years, and there's like 100 birds yeah. that fly through there. And also, George, they are... Uh, cavity nesters so the birds could have nested in a hollow tree in your yard and then they jump out of the tree and then you know they wouldn't necessarily been lost they were just leaving your yeah. yard to go to the wetland right. and they'll uh, use they'll use wood duck boxes yes, too yeah that's right oh uh, you mentioned the red river uh wildlife uh place down there i that's one of the greatest places there is to get pictures of hummingbirds all, right. all you got to do is sit on the back porch and they got those hummingbird feeders out there and I've got some of the best pictures of hummingbirds that I, that I ever got. Oh, neat, neat. Uh, Good. Okay. Well, George, keep watching those black-bellied whistling ducks, and thank you for the call. Thank you. Okay, let's see. Shelly, I was going to ask you about um, uh, where do, you've been in this business a long time. Where do you see nature tourism? Where Where do you see it? where it could expand and and how have you seen it change and evolve over time you, you mentioned already that earlier we would have been just talking about bird watchers but what else we would have um i, I mean it's definitely grown in popularity and it's grown and just ways people like to connect i mean there's been a huge boom in paddling canoeing and kayaking and i've, I've long thought one of the big reasons for that is one people it's a fairly easy activity to have access to it doesn't cost as much money as some other activities do cost to go out and have the right equipment for and two you just get to see nature from a very different place you're down on the water you're approaching things birds don't fly off as quickly mammals don't run as quickly when you approach them on the water as, as they would if you were hiking through the woods and you know kicking up leaf litter and making the noise that you make no matter how quiet you think you're being in the woods it's just not to nature but when you're on the water you can really see things from a different perspective so we've seen this huge boom and canoeing and kayaking and it shows in the sales of canoes and kayaks it shows in the number of liveries and canoe and kayak rental places that pop up um, camping and hiking have become huge and i think part of that expansion and what you'll see in the future is they're going to be more and more apps that allow you to find camping spots i know in texas we have a real problem with people being able to get into campsites at state parks they fill up really really quickly so you have more and more city parks and county parks and private entities kind of fulfilling that role you even see places like vrbo and airbnb taking that on where you can find spots to go out camp and rv um, through sites like that and there are new sites popping up that are filling the niche and that gap of what people want is to be able to find a place to go camping they want to go this weekend they don't want to know six months ago that they wanted to go mm -hmm. camping this weekend so um i think technology is going to play a role i think apps are going to play a role people like buying at the beginning people didn't like buying day passes but covid kind of got us all over that you like knowing if you could go to a place before you ever set out and you like knowing that numbers were restricted and i think that that's going to continue being kind of the norm going forward that people are going to use technology people are going to use day passes people mm -hmm. are going to use apps and at first i think apps for eBird and Merlin and iNaturalist and all these things were kind of shunned by old timers like me 
but um, they've been embraced now. I love them. I don't go anywhere without iNaturalist. I iNat everything. I'll iNat things on this trip. Um, it, it's just a great way to engage with nature with younger generations and just keep track of what you've seen. So. And you mentioned iNat, and we've talked about iNat and eBird, but we'll go over it again. So eBird is, you know, strictly bird sightings. But the neat thing about iNat is it's everything. It, it can be spiders, plants. Um, and, and if you don't know what they are, it, it can help you identify. There'll be um, people that can help you figure out what those things are, and it's a great learning tool. So you don't need to know what that is. Um, what you're photographing, what you're submitting, but there might be an expert that says, holy cow, I'm an expert on that species, and that's a new parish or new county record that we didn't know about. So you might be contributing to something that's not known, so pretty neat. I will say I never had a bigger thrill than when um, a butterfly project that was scientifically motivated and owned by scientists opted some of my photos on iNaturalist into their project, I just felt mm. like I am part of science. Hey, that's cool. It was very exciting. So you could have that experience too. It doesn't take anything more than a photo from your cell phone or regular phone and download it on a computer later. Right. You're listening to Bird Calls, the number here if you'd like to call and your question is 800-552-8502. We're on till seven, so please get on that phone and call us. Until then, I have plenty of questions. Rusty, I'm going to throw that same question I had given Shelly to you. Is what You've been in this business a while. What have you seen change and evolve in this business of nature tourism? You know, it's kind of like what Shelly was saying. I kind of feel like a, a dinosaur because I was the last one to embrace um, digital devices. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be out there with my hands on and my binoculars or doing something. And then I realized that, you know, we were just outnumbered. If, if we were going to get people into nature, we were going to drag them out there through their digital devices. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely, absolutely agree with Shelly about iNaturalist and uh, all of these other apps and in Facebook groups of, for identification. Uh, I love the, that part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I wish people were more vo motivated for just the general um, experience. Great. Um, okay, so Shelly, um, on this show we've talked about Richard Lube's book, Last Child in the Woods, is a good book on the importance of why we should get our youth out in nature, how it's good for our health, good for our spirits. Um, what else on this topic would you recommend as reading material? I know you brought a couple of examples. I did. I brought some more books by Richard Louvre. Um, he broadened his view after uh, Last Child in the Woods and really realized that nature was good for everyone. It wasn't It wasn't just about connecting children with the nature. That is a huge part, but it is actually important for adults. It's important for all of us to get back to our roots. And so um, he has a whole catalog of books now that have gone above and beyond Last Child in the Woods. Um, I mean, I, I love books that that identify things for me we talked a lot about apps but I'm still a big believer in field guides I think there's always going to be a place for field guides and so National Geographic Guide to Birds of North America is a huge book for me it's not a book that you read for pleasure although I do know kids who have read it for pleasure um, it but in Texas we have east and west so we need the you know we can't just have an eastern book or a western book we need kind of all of it um, it's not as much the case here in Louisiana or in Arkansas, but 
I do use eBird. I do use iNaturalist. But when I get a suggestion for my naturalist for something that I couldn't identify on my own right away, the first thing I do is get out my book and start comparing notes and mm. start looking at ranges. And you can't do that as easily on a phone. So um, mm -hmm. even though nature tourism, you're asking about that kind of book, I still think field guides are really important to nature tourism. I have my butterfly guide with me. I have my bird guide with me. These go with me everywhere. Yeah, you need the whole arsenal, the full arsenal of books and cell phone because yeah I'm, I'm old school I grew up with the book and like Rusty said you know all of a sudden here comes digital and you either stay a dinosaur and become extinct or like you mentioned you 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 embrace it and and go with it and and so yeah but I, I think you're right you got to have all all the above and it's good that we have all the above because how many times have we been out there and the phone goes dead we didn't charge it up or we're so remote we don't get service and we we were checking a website that wasn't downloaded on our phone and and that that's when the book will will be handy so i think one of the things that really was exciting for me recently was uh where the crawdad sing um if you read the book it's i mean the movie was good but the book is so much you know three quarters more long mm. and they do a lot of referencing to stuff that was relevant to us like a sand county almanac by aldo leopold mm -hmm. and i think those books are just as relevant as they were when we read them many years ago rachel carson's a sense of wonder those books are never ending i mean they're they're relevant today like they were when they were written yeah yeah good so uh, do you have any titles rusty other than what shelly mentioned um, just those three uh, you know, yeah. a, a sense of wonder by rachel carson okay you mentioned and them. sand county almanac by okay. aldo leopold i mean and i i love books as well i mean i will say things that connect me with nature are like edward abbey desert oh, solitaire yeah. i mean it's just one of those take special people to appreciate edward abbey though <laughs> i i was i mean in college i will say edward abbey was my huge literary crush which is mm -hmm. really terrible because he was bad with women but the he was amazing gang, with nature yeah desert solitaire and the monkey wrench gang there's so so yeah there and then rachel carson of course um all of these books diversity of life by eo wilson i mean he is amazing and been to the eo wilson nature center over in florida and it's beautiful wonderful nature center with great interpretive exhibits and um and ants large ants that you can pose with and things like that if you know anything about eo wilson but there's a book called wildlife in america by matheson that's out of print now but man i enjoyed that it's like the bent the effects we had on huge populations of animals uh it talks a lot about our birds that we lost that was a, a really profound book yeah for me. P peter matheson he he wrote several books that are just magical um and and definitely an author to to look up he's got several books uh, one that i really like on on shorebirds that he it's a huge coffee table book with great artwork i can't remember the artist but you know just writes beautifully about these birds that make these incredible migrations every year and uh so you read that stuff and it just gets you supercharged you got to go out and see it for yourself um, and that's what these books are all about that's what we're mentioning are books that can really inspire and once you start digging into this field if it's new to you you know we've listed a few you're, you're going to quickly learn other titles and and you probably won't have another topic to cover for the rest of your life there's that much stuff written about nature um and so that's good that there's plenty of stuff out there but so much more that we need to learn and are learning 
along the way as well. So, um, Shelly, what are your favorite ways to engage with nature yourself? What, what do you like to do with your family? You've got two young kids. I do, and luckily they're kind of little nature bugs, which is good. Um, not so little anymore. One's two inches taller than me, so I don't think that counts. Um, but she still loves to go out wildlife viewing with me. She's really into butterflies more than birds. Um, Pollinator BioBlitz is going on in Texas right now uh, through October 23rd. And so she and I went to the Wildflower Center in Austin over the weekend and just took photos of butterflies. And, and also it's spider season, so I took pictures of I guess pollinator predators <laughs> just because I love spiders too um, so she is huge on taking photos of wildlife with me and my son just loves to play in the dirt and hike and we live near Greenbelt in Texas so we're able to hike and wander around and enjoy immersing ourselves they love to camp they love to canoe they love to kayak all of those things are things that they really love and I took them to South Texas to go birding for Thanksgiving last year and by the end, my 10-year-old was IDing great kiskadees and green jays oh, without neat. any prompt, and he had never seen either of those birds before, and they really made an impact on him. So Those are cool kids, Shelly. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> cool kids. Worked hard on it. <laughs> How about you, Rusty? What, what What is your favorite thing to do or things to do when you're outside? Well, I'm a falconer, and I think that brings together three of my favorite things, uh, exercise, bird watching, and hiking so yeah. like you're running through the woods chasing and seeing what predator prey relationships look like and so i've spent many hours in the field identifying and playing with raptors and that pretty much led to my job but uh that's one of my favorites i love adventure tourism we went to uh belize this summer and scuba dived and with sharks and manatees and saw lots of cool birds got to see a ferruginous pygmy owl Neat. at our hummingbird feeder of all places ah. <laughs> was he trying to get a little snack it was, was attacking in? the uh, nylon rope that the feeder was hung on it, i don't oh. know what he was doing but we had just been to a raptor center the belize raptor center and then we went back to our bungalow and here's a wild ferruginous pig, pygmy owl attacking oh. the fum, hummingbird feeder oh that's interesting and it was it was i like that kind of you know i've been to peru looking at birds but I love just, like I said, going down to Jean Lafitte and seeing yeah. what we see. Yeah. I like I like the the gathering of multiples. Like if you go down there, you get to see alligators and snakes and squirrels and all the birds. And uh, I also like to go down to uh, Grand Isle and camp and mm. look at, you get to see the uh, mammals again, the yeah. uh, oceanic mammals. And I love watching pelicans dive. So. Oh, yeah. Can't beat it. You're listening to Bird Calls. You have just a few minutes left. If you'd like to get your question in, the number is 800-552-8502. We're wrapping things up. We're talking about nature tourism, also called ecotourism. Um, and we're basically talking about people that like to go outside and 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 be cleansed by fresh air and 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 the challenge of seeing new things and visiting new places and you, you can never run out of nature, and, and that's the beauty of, especially for a bird watcher, you know, if you're if you're into reptiles, I know you are, Rusty, but, you, you know, the tundra is a little difficult on, right. on, on herps, so, but birds are everywhere, and so I, I like looking at everything, and birds are a darn good excuse to go to weird places that you wouldn't think would have any wildlife 
Um, but yeah, you can see some amazing things. If you want to see penguins, go to Antarctica. There's not, you know, hardly any land, and most of it's uh, iced over, or it's they're sitting on ice, and so it's kind of neat to think about that. Um, so, let's see. Uh, question for Rusty: Tell us about any birding clubs or other nature-related organizations and, and social media outlets where radio listeners here in northwest Louisiana and the entire state of Louisiana can connect with other bird watchers and other naturalists. Where, where can they go? Well, certainly here in Shreveport, we have the Shreveport Bird Study Group that meets out here at LSUS. Um, we have Louisiana Master Naturalist Northwest Chapter. Um, shameless plug, I happen to be the president of this chapter, and I would invite anybody to come and join our uh, undertakings. Those are two of the biggest that I'm uh, somewhat involved with. Um, there's lots of opportunities, whether it's right here in our backyard or on Facebook or mm -hmm. other groups on social media. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we had a caller send in a message and, uh, uh, oh, is she on the line? Let's see. Is El Elizabeth Jefferson on the line? No, okay. It's just a message. It says Elizabeth Jefferson says, or maybe it's Elizabeth from Jefferson. I don't know. But anyway, Elizabeth says Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, was John F. Kennedy's favorite book, and everyone should read it. Hey, that's that's good advice. So that's a second title by Rachel Carson that has been mentioned uh, tonight. You're listening to Bird Calls 800-552-8502. You have just a few minutes to squeeze in your call if you have one about birds and nature tourism. And, and uh, Shelly, what makes someone a nature tourist? You know, when, when, do you, when are you doing this and you're like, you know what, I, I'm it. I'm a nature tourist. What does it take to be a nature tourist? I think anyone who travels and includes some bit of bird watching or watching the raptors fly in the sky or perch on a power line as you drive through or looks at the hummingbirds and the butterflies and the um, bees and bumblebees that are at gardens around a nature center or around an entrance to a visitor center they should consider themselves a nature tourist. I will say probably a lot of people don't think of themselves like that but maybe they should start and start owning it I know we just did a national survey on wildlife viewers and we had a question in there that asked what kinds of things they like to do in nature to identify them as a wildlife viewer. And they couldn't take the survey unless they answered those questions in a way that said they were wildlife viewers. And later in the survey, we asked if they consider themselves a wildlife viewer. And I would say it was about 40% of them or something thought that they were beginners or novice and not mm. really a wildlife viewer, yet they met all of our criteria. So own it. If you love watching nature and you include that in any part of your travels, you are a nature tourist. If you like watching wildlife, you are a wildlife viewer. Call yourself that. If you're drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. you're there. Yeah. My mom was guilty of that. She never considered herself a birder, but she had feeders all over the yard and she fed them dil diligently every day. Um, she loved cardinals. She mm -hmm. called them red birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, she didn't like it when a Cooper's hawk would eat one of the oh, cardinals. Yeah. But yeah. I'm trying to convince her that that was bird the, feeding. The meat eaters have to eat as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got a caller on uh, the line. We've got Carol from Natchitoches. Carol, what do you have for us tonight? I was wondering if you could advise on some places to go to see birds that might be migrating through the area this time of year. Okay. Rusty, you want to 
Uh, absolutely. You could go to Walter B. Jacobs Memorial Nature Park. Hey. We have 160 acres and five miles of hiking trails, and you can certainly see birds there both in the comfort of our exhibit hall or out on the trails. And as I mentioned earlier, the Red River National Wildlife Refuge has the same opportunities. We had a caller a while ago talking about it was the best place to get uh, hummingbird photos, and they have Lake Carolyn down there that offers a lot of uh, wetland and shorebirds, and there's uh, the Yates track that a lot of them go to. Also, you could go to some of these uh, areas around uh, Cross Lake. There's lots of opportunities there. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. Thank you, Carol. And and I just I just thought of Cross Lake. I think one of the the only um, snowy owl records for the area. There was one there in the 70s that hung around and was eating coots. And the snowy owl is, of course, a bird of the high tundra. And there are occasional records this far south. Texas has. I don't know, eight or 12 records, but mostly in the last dozen or so years. Um, but that cross lake bird was very unusual. So it was in the 70s, I believe, eating coots. How about that? Normally they're up on the tundra eating e eating lemmings. So I think I'd, I don't know what, you know, I've eaten coot before actually. And it, I had, did a taste test with ducks and I couldn't really tell a difference. I mean, the, if you cook it right, it'll, it'll taste good. So most people don't want to eat coot, but it is a game bird. You can't eat, eat coot. So um, let's see. What what have we not talked about that you all would like to cover? Is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to cover? Since people just don't want to call in. I don't think that, like we were ta just talking about, people consider that they don't know enough or they're not familiar enough to go and call themselves a naturalist or a birder or mm -hmm. a herper. But... I mean, the, the reason to be there is the same. You enjoy seeing things. Yeah. And if it's clicking a cell phone photo of a jewel damselfly or uh, any other bird, for that matter, a snowy owl on Cross Lake, you're documenting it. And once you get educated and find out what it is, then you can share it with others and then they can go and enjoy it. So I think that's the thing that people that are hesitant to call themselves or get engaged or get a set of binoculars that's one of those areas that just get out there i mean it's it's time outdoors is healthy for your brain and your emotions and all thereof so um don't be hesitant because you feel like you don't know enough you can't do anything but learn yeah that's right yeah you, you don't really get a degree as a naturalist so you want to just uh, get out there and do it so well i want to thank our uh guests tonight shelly and rusty thank you for coming um i'm going to end with our uh conservation tip and this one is called ecri for centuries humans have made all sorts of claims about things they've seen these claims continue today spread quickly using social media observers claim to see bigfoot yet no voucher specimen of one occurs in a museum anywhere Reports in the U.S. of ivory-billed woodpeckers continue to trickle in, yet we've had no solid proof in quite some time. The famous American astronomer and astrophysicist Carl Sagan developed the Sagan Standard, which became the famous dictum known as ECRI. ECRI stands for Extraordinary Claims Require Extraordinary Evidence. This fits both into our daily lives and when we're observing nature. Using this approach can help us avoid accepting false information as well as keeping us from announcing the identification of a critter that's simply not there. ECRI is self-explanatory. If you're going to report something amazing, you better have amazing proof. 
We humans make mistakes all the time, so our word isn't enough. Proof does not include phrases like, that's what I saw, or are you calling me a liar? Remember, be careful when making identifications of wildlife, including birds, especially if they're out of place. Do a little research before hastily blasting away on social media. Being careful means being smart. Your reputation depends on it. Do it for the birds. So that concludes this evening's episode. You've been listening to Bird Calls with me, Cliff Shackelford, resident ornithologist here at Red River Radio. I thank our guests who joined us in the studio this evening, Shelley Plant with Texas Parks and Wildlife and Rusty Scarborough with Caddo Parish Parks and Rec. You, you all want to come back next year? Absolutely. We'll talk some more about nature tourism? Sure. All right. Uh, Bird Calls has been made possible in part by the Community Foundation in North Louisiana. Tonight's episode was assisted by Kiara Lafitte, and there were several volunteers operating the phone book. Phone booth. Um, Tonight's sound recording of a spotted sandpiper was by Paul Marvin at xenocantu.org. The photo we used for that species on the Bird Calls webpage was snapped by James Childress. There's the spotted sandpiper playing again. This show will be available soon as a podcast on our website at redriverradio.org. And remember, if you have a photo or a sound clip of a bird that you'd like me to identify, you can send an email to redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Again, redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Be sure to join us for the next episode of Bird Calls next month at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, November 8th. And remember, do it for the birds.